Hello, you're listening to Offer Accepted, the show that is all about fostering careers in real estate and growing your real estate team. Your host is Vanessa Rosenblum. Vanessa is the president of a search firm called Pro REA Staffing, where they help real estate agents hire talented people so that they can grow their businesses. On this show, Vanessa interviews real estate industry professionals from real estate assistants to team leaders of mega teams to learn how they achieve their current level of success and what they're doing to rise to the next level in their career or business. Whether you are exploring a career in real estate or you currently run a large real estate team and you want to be better at recruiting, training, and managing your employees and agents, this is a show you'll want to follow. So don't forget to hit subscribe. All right, let's go to the show. Here's your host, Vanessa. Hello, I'm Vanessa. Welcome to the podcast. I am so excited about my guest today. Leilani Cure is an HR consultant. She runs Be The Change HR, and she is my go-to HR lady for all things HR related and uh, just an amazing resource and really just a practical and compassionate voice of reason when things start to go off the rails between employer and employee. And so what I wanted to do today is just get an update from Leilani. It's a new year, there are new laws, and it's kind of a good time to check in with our our favorite HR lady and see what we need to know. And what I wanted to do today is really um, try to strike a balance between answering employer questions and employee questions. So if you're not an employer, but you you know work for a team or you're an assistant, this will be worth your time to listen to as well, because I know that you have questions and things come up on, on the employee side as well. And if you work for a small company, you likely don't have an HR person that you can check in with. So here we go. So Leilani, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this. When the new year comes up, every HR professional knows the laws are going to change like crazy. And it's really important that we inform business owners what that is, because unfortunately, the government doesn't do a good job of that. So I'm excited to share today. Perfect. Well, let's just start at the top then. So what are some of the, the big changes that came down the pike uh, this year? So um, big, big law for all of the United States and kind of a, a, an overview. There's always federal law and then there's state law. So this is a federal law. This applies to everyone. It's the Fair Labor Standards Act overtime provisions. That's a mouthful. It always is. Um, and so what it is, is there's two tests to qualify someone as exempt. And what is exempt? That's when you want to pay your people's salary. So this is the first test. It's called a salary basis test. Now, it used to be someone had to make $455 a week in order to qualify and pass this test. They upped it to $684 a week. That is at $35,568 annually. So if your employee makes below that, they already fail the test for uh, the salary basis test for um, qualifying for exempt. Now, let's say they do pass that test. There is a second test that you have to, that one's a little more complicated and it's based on several factors. So if you ever have any questions, um, if they pass the first test and then the second test, um, just reach out and ask and we can go over the details of it. It's a lot of stuff to go over. Perfect. Um, another thing. Yeah, so um, there's a huge one in California right now. There is a conference every week. I've done podcasts and webinars and all this stuff on it. It's called AB5. And back in April of 2018, there was a, a, a case, Dynamex, and it um, when case law changes, 
then it changes the way that we interpret how we classify whatever it is. And so this is about independent contractors. So Dynamex was 2018. And then back in September of 2019, Governor Newsom made the Dynamex case a law. He codified it. And so it's a three-factor test. It's an ABC test. Um, and the biggest, uh, biggest difficulty, the biggest piece that would affect businesses is prong B. And what prong B says is it says specifically the person, they have to pass this test. So the person performs work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. So they have to have work that's outside the course of the hiring entity's business. So um, this affects like the gig economy. Um, we're talking about the Ubers, uh, Postmates. Um, there's a lot of people in home health that are that are affected. So a really good example, let's say um, the Uber business is a delivery business. The workers in the business are delivery people. They are not outside of the usual course of business, and therefore they should be classified as an employee. So again, there's three different factors, but the biggest one that everyone says is, is very prob problematic is prong B. And so we're telling people, make sure you look at every single one of your uh, 1099s if you're in California, if they work in California too, to make sure that they're classified properly. Um, so it's a really, really big one here in California. Uh, another one, New Jersey Equal Pay Act. This is one that is sweeping the nation. Basically what it says is you cannot ask someone their salary history um, when they are interviewing for a job in any way, shape or form. So that means on your employment applications, you can't ask. In an interview, you can't ask. And the purpose of it is to allow people to be paid equally instead of based on what they made in the past. So that's at New Jersey's Equal Pay Act. There are other states where you cannot ask that. Um, in Nevada, um, it's the first state to bar employers for refusing to hire a candidate if they test positive for marijuana in their drug screens. So usually, um, even because marijuana is illegal federally on a drug screen, um, you could possibly deny someone employment if they tested positive for THC. Now Nevada is saying, no, you cannot do that. Um, in Oregon, there is an accommodation for a pregnancy, and so it requires all organizations with at least six employees to provide a reasonable accommodation for those who have workplace limitations or medical conditions related to pregnancy or birth. Uh, Washington has a paid family and medical leave act. That's for eligible employees in that state. Um, they'll be entitled to take up to 18 weeks of paid family and medical leave per year. Now, each one of these laws, there's a ton more to it, so if you have have any questions, you're more than welcome to reach out and ask, or um, you can check with your, your local government to, to inquire about reading the entire law, which usually they're really long. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. That was a very good fast summary. I know that you had to skip over a whole bunch of, of little nuance to, to do that. So thank you. I think it's worth noting because we have a lot of listeners in California that that exempt uh, threshold is a lot higher in California. It's, it's more than the, the federal level, right? Oh my gosh, thank you so much for bringing that up. Yes, Cal everything in California is crazy. So um, where the federal exemption is what I mentioned, in California, it is always twice the minimum wage in an annual salary. So last year was 49920 but every year minimum wage goes up. So this year it's over 55000 So in California, if you don't make over 55000 you've already failed the salary basis test to qualify as exempt. Perfect. Okay. 
Woo, that was a lot, a lot of good stuff. So I know that there were some laws that came out in 2019 that some people may still not be aware of. So for example, one of those was that sexual harassment training law. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about that? Yes. So in the state of California, employers with five or more employees are required to do one hour of harassment prevention training and two hours for supervisors for harassment prevention training. It was supposed to be due at the end of 2019, but Governor Newsom heard all the businesses crying. It's not enough time for us to get that completed. So you don't have to do it until the end of the year. So that's a really big one. And is that a, an annual thing? every year, two hours for managers, one hour, or is it just? Good question. It is every two years. So it has to be done every two years within six months of hire, unless you have a temporary employee who works six months or less. In that case, you have to do it within 30 days. Got it. All right. Perfect. So I have one more employer-related question, and then I'm going to get into some of the questions I got from candidates. But on the employer side, one of the things we get all the time, um, people's hesitation to hire someone as a W-2 employee is their fear of not being able to fire them, which, I don't know, there's all sorts of issues with that. But can you talk about employment at will in the United States and, and what that means and how you, um, how you write an offer letter to ensure that if you decide you want to terminate somebody you can. Right. You know, it, it is, it is quite the scary thing because people can be litigious and that's a scary thing, right? And it affects your business. And I totally understand. So employment at will very simply said is an employee can leave the company at any time with or, with or without a reason. And an employer can ask an employee to leave anytime with or without a reason that is employment at will. We are free to go. Right. Um, but it's kind of like, in a way of fallacy. And so yes, it can be scary, but here's what I say. If you are constant, if you're constantly communicating with your employees about their performance, about their behavior, about expectations, about meeting their goals, then they won't be surprised when they leave employment because they're not they're not performing up to the level that you required them to. So yes, it could be quite scary and yeah, you can put I mean you should put in your offer letters and employment at will um statement. It should be in your handbook. It should be in your application because it is employment at will. But at the end of the day, you really need to communicate with that person why they're not working out and let them know so that if you do decide to terminate, they're not surprised. Usually when we see people leaving a company, when they want to say something like, I'm going to sue you, it's because they're angry. It's because they're surprised. It's because they didn't, they didn't know that this was coming. And so that's why they feel that way. Um, so communication is key in order to shield yourself from any type of liability. Perfect. Thanks for clarifying that. And I would say the risk of misclassifying your employee, your W-2 employee as an independent contractor, like the financial risk. Um, you're right. It's, it's really, it's really expensive to misclassify if you get caught, you know, there's penalties, there's the government wants their money. So they want, they want the taxes that that person should have paid. And they want the taxes that you should have paid on that employee. And then they'll penalize you as well. So it's just better to do it right. The, you know, the first time and each state has kind of a little nuance and difference to classifying 1099s um, versus employees. Uh, we just heard, you know, California has the, the new three prong test and, and that's really important. Would you like me to go over all three prongs for the for AB5 for California? Um, yeah, I think it'd be worth it. Let's just really quick go through okay. what, what that so means. The first one, 
So they so someone has to pass all three tests in order to qualify as an independent contractor. So the first one is A, the worker is free to perform services without the control or direction of the company. Then there's prong B, the one we talked about. The worker is performing work tasks that are outside the usual course of the company's business activities. And then C, the worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as that involved in the work performed. Of course, they don't write it in plain English, but those are the three prongs. Um, I failed to mention there are exceptions to that. Some of them are doctors, lawyers, HR professionals, marketing people, uh, freelance writers, grant writers. So there, there, there are some exceptions to this. So um, the, you make sure that you look that up. There also, um, there also is some safeguards. If you do classify someone as 1099 and they're bona fide 1099, make sure that you have a agreement, a written contractor agreement with them. And then um, to to kind of back up your case, take a picture of their business card. You know, make sure you keep their website so that if someone does ask, is this a real business, you can show them that it is. Perfect. Thank you. And can you think of any time when a administrator could legally be classified as an independent contractor, either in California or outside of California? What kind of administrator are you talking about? Well, so our clients are real estate agents and real estate assistants. So I'm thinking uh, of, a, you know, a real estate assistant, somebody who is answering the phone, checking email, calendaring, managing contracts, running errands for an agent. Yeah. You virtual assistants, people who have their own business, who, who do this as, as you know, what they do for their business, it makes sense. So um, that's prong three that I was talking about in California, the workers customarily engage in an independently established trade. Yeah, people have people who um, do that for other people who are virtual assistants who have several other clients, and that's what they do, they would classify most likely as a 1099. But let's say that person only works for you. And then they work in your office, and you tell them to be there from nine to five, and they don't, you know, it, then then it looks more like an employee. I always say if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, it's a duck. So if it's doing things that an employee, employee normally would do, then it's probably an employee. And what about part-time versus full-time? Does that make a difference? If somebody, let's say, it's, is a student and working hmm. for you, but they're not also working for other employers, uh, but they're only working for you part-time. Right. It, it doesn't. It, whether they're full-time or part-time, it doesn't matter. Perfect. Okay. I'm glad that we covered all of that. I feel like I have to have this conversation on a regular basis. So I'm glad we're getting it straight from the HR professional's mouth and not just mine. So thank you. Okay. So let's, let's talk about, um, let's talk about some of the questions I have from employees. Let's see. So one of them is, can my employer legally expect me to be on call 24 seven? That's a very good question. And I love this format because my, my brain has to flip like this all the time when it comes to talking to employees and talking to employers. Um, so it depends on what the nature of the job is if someone needs to be on call 24-7. But here's the flip side of that. If you're asking someone to be on call 24-7, then you're asking them to be available and in right mind to work. So I'm gonna take something that's more of like a safety sensitive position. Let's say that I work in construction and they need me on call 24 seven. That means that I can't leave my house 
That means that I can't have a beer, right? I need to be sober and I need to be present, I need to be geographically like located in order to take that call. If someone's going to be on call 24 seven and you need them to be available and you need them to be of right mind, then they need to be paid for that time that they're on call. So that's the biggest catch. Yeah, you could totally, your boss could totally have you on call 24 seven, but it depends on what capacity they need you in. And if they need you um, fully available, uh, mind and body, then they should probably be paying you for that. I think also if they're asking you to be on call 24 seven, maybe it warrants a conversation as to why. Maybe it isn't 24 seven. Maybe there are other hours that you could be available to take like little phone calls and texts. And then um, of course, if you are not exempt, you'll need to be paid for that time. Perfect. Okay. Uh, let's see. So my boss is abusive in their language. They have a bad temper. Uh, there is no HR lady in our office. How do I address this? I have, I just had this conversation yesterday um, uh, in business, but in life, right? Sometimes people are jerks. And I, and, and the way that I, I talk to people about this situation is if it's, this person is reasonable, if you can sit down with them and have a conversation and see, uh, talk to them about the behavior, talk to them about the treatment, then I would encourage you to do so. But if you think that this person, you can't do that and there's no way around it, then I would encourage people to just find another place to work. We are at work all the time, um, sometimes more than we are with our families. And we should be in environments that are healthy, you know, healthy for us. And if it's affecting your health, then I strongly encourage finding another place that is it is more healthy. And hopefully that person learns a lesson about treating people better. So if you can talk to that person and have a, a, a great conversation, adult conversation about the behavior, maybe they're normally not like this and they're going through something and it could be an approach like that. Like, hey, I've been noticing that you've been a little on edge lately and it's been affecting me. Um, you know, is, is anything going on? Is there any way I can support you? And also please be aware, like, you know, it also affects me and it hurts my feelings. Whatever the, the, the feelings that are coming up, um, speak openly about that. But if that's not a possibility, I would just go and find a, a place that um, someone treats you better. Yeah, you deserve to be treated well. Nobody deserves to be yelled at and abused. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, okay, so one candidate reached out to us and said, I am considering an offer. The offer includes a large signing bonus that would have to be paid back in full if I leave within the first three years of employment. Can they even do that? And should I sign that offer? Wow. Um, that's a long time for a, a, a signing bonus for three years. So um, it's difficult to recoup money from employees, especially at large sums. Um, depending on what state you're in, the agreement might not hold up. So it just depends on how much money it is, um, what the legal agreement says, if you have to pay it back, and then even if the, le if, if the legal agreement would stand up in court in the state that you're in. So it is possible, yeah, you might have to pay it back. Um, if it, it, I would encourage if it, uh, the signing bonus was, uh, you'd have to pay all of it back in one in three years, I would negotiate possibly making sure that at stages it reduces, so it's not the, the total amount. Um, and then, of course, do your homework. Make sure that the place that you're working for um, where you're going to sign this bonus is a healthy place and, it, and you won't be three months in and be like, oh, my gosh, I feel like I'm trapped in this crazy place for the next two years and nine months. So make sure you do your due diligence. And and um, 
Also, if you have any, any, um, you know, talking to a lawyer would be really helpful in that type of situation for signing a contract with that, a, a large amount of money, make sure that you know your rights. Yeah. And it makes you just wonder why would somebody yeah. need to do that, right? It feels, it, it sort of turns you into an indentured servant on some level. That's what I'm saying. Three is a very long time. So I, I, it's a red flag, it, it, uh, you know, for that long. It's like, like, you were right, like indentured servant. It's why do you need to make sure that I'm locked in for that period of time? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. All right. Good. Um, all right. So let's see. I was, uh, so it's frowned upon if we take a break or lunch. So there's so much work to be done. No one says we can't take a break, but we're fearful to take them. In fact, no one has taken a break in over six months. What do I do? I had this conversation yesterday um, with a, a whole business group, right? People need to take lunch and people shouldn't be shamed to do so. Like at a, in a very basic human level, we have to eat. Right? <laughs> you have to eat. And, and I encourage people, you shouldn't be eating at your desk. We all do it. I know we all do it. We're so busy. You're like typing on your computer. You're shoving food in your mouth. You're like, I have to get all this stuff done. But when you run on all four or six or eight cylinders, depending on what kind of car you drive, if you run um, like that nonstop, you will burn out. And, and it's not healthy. Breaks should be taken. You should step away from your workplace and eat. you should eat food at the same time. So if someone's in a position to speak to a business owner about the culture that has been created, because it's a culture, right? It, people feel internally like, oh, gosh. I might get in trouble if I take a break, like everybody eats at their desk. And, and if anybody goes to lunch for even a half an hour, like they're looked at differently, like where'd you go kind of thing. So um, I would encourage that workplace to start having an open dialogue about being healthier, about taking breaks, about having a culture of taking breaks, because if everyone runs like that nonstop, there will be burnout and it's just not healthy. It shouldn't be done. So six months of no breaks is very, very unhealthy. People should do that. And, and, and it really should be an open conversation about taking care of people's uh, mental and physical health. These are basic needs that we have that should be allowed in the workplace. Yeah, I think there's this, I think some people who have employees really wish they had robots and they have to right they really wish they just had people who had no no life outside of work no issues yeah. no health problems you know they just showed up plugged in produced work and like left and the reality is that is not that's not going to happen that's not life that's not what happens when you're a manager and you have employees you're dealing with other human beings and yeah. you yeah you deserve to be able to take a break have lunch I'm wondering, like, even from a business standpoint, if an analysis was done in the workplace for um, turnover, I'm going to guess it's going to be a, a bit high. And so if you quantify that amount to a dollar amount for someone who's thinking in terms of, well, I want my people to be highly productive, it's how much money are you losing when you're turning over your employees because you don't have a healthy work environment? At the end of the day, um, a lot of these questions and, and a lot of things that happen in the workplace are all surrounded by how healthy is the environment, right? Abusive bosses, not being able to take breaks, working 24-7. It's like people can't operate at this capacity all the time. And so it needs to be it needs to be a converse. A bigger conversation is um, how do we make this place healthy? 
And then what is the cost when you don't? It costs tens of thousands of dollars to to lose employees, to lose good employees and to constantly replace them and the productivity of having new people and then, you know, bringing them up to speed and and then, you know, having a good name for your business, you know, and and then your employees feeling good about where they work and 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 singing praises about the workplace. It's it's really important on on a higher level and it costs companies money when they companies money when they don't operate from a place of how how can I make this a good workplace? Mm-hmm. Perfect. Okay, so I am asked to run business errands and my boss won't reimburse me for the miles I drive. Is he required to do so? Yes. So um, it, basically, if it is costing someone more to do work for a business, then they should be paid for it. And that includes using your car. So uh, this doesn't include a commute, though. So if you agree to drive 50 miles to where you work, they don't reimburse you for that. That was the agreement you made when you decided to um, work at the place you work at. But any miles outside of that, even if it's just a couple a day, should be reimbursed at a reasonable rate. Now, there's something called the GSA rate. It's the what the government says is a rate per mile for gas. I think right now it's 57 cents per mile. That's always a good guideline. I do have clients who go a little over, who go a little under, but yes, they should be reimbursed for miles for running errands outside of a normal commute. And let's thank you for that. And let's talk about cell phone as well. So let's say you get some calls on nights and weekends on your cell phone. Is it worth it to bring it up to your boss to say, hey, I'm using my cell phone for work? And what percentage mm-hmm. should be reimbursed? How, does, how do people sort that out? So that's the same thing. Um, most plans have unlimited data and unlimited calls. So what I say to people is if if that's the case, you don't necessarily have to give any type of phone allowance because the employee isn't incurring additional cost to use their phone. But there is a bit of like, there could be a bit of resentment if someone is using their phone for business purposes, but not be reimbursed for it, even if it doesn't cost them anything to use the phone. And so what I typically see is cell phone allowances of either $30 a month or like $60 a month. It still doesn't cover the whole cell phone bill, but it's a little piece that you can give to the employee so um, they feel better about using their phone. And then the other side of that is, well, it's a business write-off for you, and we all know you don't wanna pay a bunch of taxes, employers, so you you can write it off as a business expense. Perfect. Okay, great. And all right, so my former boss won't provide a good reference because they're mad I left. What do I do? Well, you you can't get blood out of a turnip, so it's not going to (laughs) happen. So there's no point in asking them for that. But what you can do is if you had somebody that worked with you, um, whether lateral or maybe even one of your subordinates, that'd be great if you had someone that worked under you and they could say something nice about you because that's a huge, huge compliment too. You, but and you can't make someone um, do something that they do. So try to find someone auxiliary to that in the company that could help you out. Okay, perfect. And let's see. So let's let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk more about employers. Um, let's talk about this employee handbook. I can't tell you how much resistance I get from people who don't want to create an employee handbook. What what is an employee handbook? Why should every business, even if you only have one employee, have one? Right. Yeah, they can be daunting. I understand that they could be from 20 to 40 to 70 pages long, depending on what state you're in. Um, It's really important to have an employee handbook, though. So a lot of 
issues in the workplace arise from not communicating expectations, not communicating uh, benefits, not communicating different policies, not communicating legal rights. All those things roll up into a handbook. So a handbook is going to tell you about the company. It's going to tell you about the core values of a company. It's going to tell you about certain policies that are required by law, like an anti-harassment policy, drug-free workplace, workplace violence, uh, accommodations for people with disabilities. It's going to talk about different medical leaves that might be available to people, about their benefits, about vacation, PTO, sick pay. I mean, you name it, it's going to be in there. Um, it's going to have work standards of what is required of people as far as behavior and performance, performance reviews. It is going to have um, policies on how to treat company property. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. But it's important to communicate that to your employees. It's expectations for them. They want to they know what's expected of them. And then, of course, there's the, the legal aspect of having an employee handbook. If you don't have a policy on something like, let's say, harassment, and then you have a harassment claim in court. They're going to ask to see your policy. In some states, it's actually required to have a policy in your handbook. And then at the very end of your handbook, you're going to have a sign off. The sign off is going to say that they understand what's in the handbook. It's going to have an at will agreement in there and, and maybe a couple other legal agreements, depending on what state you're in. So, yes, it could be daunting um, to have an employee handbook, but I highly, highly, highly encourage companies to have it before you even hire your first employee. And that's something you do, right? You help people create them. Yes, and we make the the uh, process as painless as possible. So it's just an, uh, a time to sit down to figure out what they need in their handbook, and then we fill in all the blanks with the legalities, um, and then we also roll it out to the staff, which is really nice, right? So you get this huge handbook and you just hand it to people. It's like, well, they don't know what's inside. So we'll meet with the staff and, and talk about the whole entire thing and then have them sign off on it. And then you're done until you hire a new employee or the handbook has some type of revision. Perfect. And, you know, I was slow to the party on this one. I have probably, I think I had three employees by the time I got around to it. And as I was building it out, I, I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm so lucky that I got to this point without having any problems. I got to the parts about um, taking time off to vote and bereavement pay. And there were all of these yeah. things that I never thought about. Do I have a maternity policy? I don't know. You know, like it was stuff I hadn't even thought about. And I can see how if you had one employee and they ask for time off or something and you give it to them and then you have another employee, you don't maybe you don't remember what you agreed to the last time. And now you have different policies for different people on your team and things can go south really fast. Um, the other yeah. issue, I um, I can think of a team who uh, had an employee who was drinking on the job and they didn't have an employee handbook. And Yikes. there was, you yeah. know, and so now with all, they have all these employees, they have one that has a problem. Now they need to roll out a handbook that says you may not drink on the job. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're way behind the eight ball on dealing with um, this this problem in their office. Yeah, and in employee handbooks, other things will, will surface. So, And then when we roll it out to the staff, the staff will have questions. It's like, okay, you said drinking on the job. Maybe they have like wine Fridays or something, which sounds like fun. So, they have, and then someone might ask, well, if it says we can't drink at work, well, what about, you know, what about Fridays when we have wine in the office? And so it, it helps clarify like the like the big things and then the little things too. 
Yeah, I love that. And it gets everyone on the same page. We all know what rules we're operating by. And I, you know, I know for business owners who are used to flying by the seat of their pants, so that's, you know, they just sort of make it up as they go along. I, I hear you. I feel you. I'm one of you. But your employees, a lot of them really like rules. They really want to know exactly what's expected. They like that. I mean, it makes them feel secure knowing what the rules are. And so like going back to that healthy workplace we were talking about, I think it's, it is just an essential part of growing up, putting on your big boss pants and, you know, accepting the responsibilities you've taken on when you hire an employee. Yeah. So, so get it done. So, okay. A couple more questions. Someone else on the team called me a effing B and my boss, I told my boss and they didn't resolve it. And now this person is hostile with me and my boss said they can't let them go because they're essential to the team. What gives? You Wow. That's rough. Yeah. No. Okay. So shouldn't be cussing in the workplace. Um, it, it, that's a really difficult situation. Um, if the boss won't resolve it and the person is hostile um it's kind of like a bigger picture is if the situation cannot be solved and if it creates an unhealthy work environment for you then again i would encourage looking someplace else but if you can have another conversation with that boss and talk about how it how the first thing happened right you know being cussed out and being called a name and then after the behavior um, turned into hostile behavior towards that person. Uh, I think it's very important. Now, let's say that this hostile behavior is based on a protected class, then that's something entirely different. Let's say it's male to female. If a male were to call me an F and B and then treat me hostile after, it could possibly classify as a harassment claim, hostile work environment harassment claim. And, and there that puts the company at risk. So if, if that's the case, then it's another conversation with the boss. Hey, I know you weren't going to handle this employee. You say they're essential, but um, I do have rights and I'd like to file a harassment claim against this person. Now, sometimes there is bad behavior at work that has nothing to do with protected classes. It's just people being jerks to each other. Um, I call it some people's kids. My joke is like, well, people weren't raised right. And they think that it's it's appropriate to speak to other people that way. Um, and in those situations, there's no law that covers you. You know, it's just it's just people behaving badly in the workplace. And so um, if it can be resolved, if there could be another conversation with that boss, then I would encourage that. But if that's not the case and someone's treating you poorly and it's affecting you at home and, you know, if anything brings you to tears more than once and and, and, it, and it's and it's um, it's a bad environment for you and, you know, it's not healthy, then then just find another place to work where people will treat you properly. Such a shame that other people's bad behavior can cause you to have to, to find yeah. another job and change the course on your career. Totally. Hmm. Okay. Last one. And I feel, feel like we sort of covered this with the Nevada, but I want to talk about it anyways. Okay. So even though pot is legal and so is alcohol in my state, my boss is now going to test everyone for pot. And although I don't partake during business hours, how can they fire me for this if it's legal in my state? So on That's a broader a sense, can yeah. you be fired because you smoke pot on your own time? Yes. So with the exception of Nevada, and there's more nuances to Nevada's law, of course, um, but f uh, marijuana is illegal federally. Now, with other drug screens, if you have a, a prescription for um, Vicodin, right? And that's an opioid. I think it's an opioid. But anyway, Vicodin, right? Mm -hmm. You have a prescription, you go, you get drug tested, you show them your prescription. 
then you will, they'll take your panel where it says positive and they'll wipe it clean and they'll say it's negative because you have a prescription. Even with medical marijuana, the drug testing um, clinics won't wipe, they won't wipe your panel uh, clean even with a prescription. And so it's going to come back as testing positive. A lot of times it's the question, well, it stays in your system longer. And my answer is like, it's going to test positive. It's going to test positive for whatever they're testing you for. Mm -hmm. So, and then, and then on the other hand, um, an employer can require employees to come to work sober and to come to work, um, of right mind. And so if someone tests positive for any type of substance, including marijuana, yes, for the most part, they can be terminated um, for having that that positive screening. Now, the second part of the question is uh, you said they were going to test everybody. There are certain laws in certain states where you cannot just test people just because. Um, there has to be a reasonable suspicion that that person is under the influence. So state by state, this is different. Um, you can test. So let me think um, blanket terms federally. Part of your process to uh, hire. Then in that case, yes, you could let you could say you could deny employment if they test positive. Um, in certain states, it needs to be at a certain point in the process. So what I would say is to keep it safe. It needs to be post-offer. So it's not before you give them a job offer. It's after you give them a job offer. You say this is contingent upon a background screening and a drug screening. And if they fail that drug screening, then you deny them employment. You deny them the job. Um, I don't know why you would want to drug screen everyone before that because it's expensive. So you want to do the offer and then the drug screen and then you can deny an employment. You do have to enter into something called an adverse uh, action uh, process if you do deny employment based on that, but that's a whole other discussion. But after that, once they become your employees, then there are restrictions on when you can test people. Now, if you want to do random drug testing, it should be because maybe they're in a safety sensitive position and then you randomly choose a certain percentage of your employees to test and make sure that it's fair and that everyone gets tested in a certain period of time. And then, of course, there's reasonable suspicion if someone has a an on the job injury or if they come to work and they smell like marijuana and they seem like they're high and you're like, what the heck? Then in those cases, you can send them for a drug screen. Great. So you can't just say, I don't like that guy. I think he's a stoner. I'm going to get him tested. No, you shouldn't be doing that kind, <laughs> no. of, kind of thing. No. All right. Perfect. Thanks for clarifying. Well, this was really good. I feel like we covered a lot of ground. Do you have any other, are there any other questions you get often that I didn't ask you that you think we should um, add here? You know, you covered the big ones. Um, big questions I have, uh, independent contractor versus employee, exempt versus non-exempt. Um, other big ones would be uh, sick pay. So there are different sick pay ordinances by state. There are some even by city. And so make sure that you you know um, if you're required to provide your employees sick pay or not. Um, you were talking about like bereavement leave and voting leave. Every state has its own rules and laws. And then, of course, there's federal. So make sure that you're aware of the laws that apply to you and allowing people to have time off for different situations. That's a really big one. Things like um, 
talked about salary uh, history, asking about salary history. Uh, another big one is ban the box. Ban the box means you, in some states, you cannot ask if someone has a prior criminal history. Um, so uh, make sure that you, you're aware of of those laws. Um, uh, it, overall, I would say, make yourself aware of the federal law that applies to you and then the specific state law that applies, um, especially if you're in states like California, Washington, Oregon, New York, New Jersey. Um, these states have more laws than not. Um, and so make sure that you're, you're, you're up to speed on what applies to you. Perfect. All the more reason to have a really good HR person at the ready because my goodness, you don't want to get this stuff wrong. So I'm so grateful for you, Leilani. And where can people find you if they have questions and uh, they'd like to work with you? Yeah, of course. Uh, the company is Be The Change HR. So our website is bethechangehr.org. You're welcome to email me directly. My email is Leilani. That's L-E-I. L-A-N-I at bethechangehr.org. And we're on every social media platform. You just got to Google us and uh, you'll find us. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Leilani. Always good to see you. Always great to see you, Vanessa. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Offer Accepted, the podcast for fostering careers in real estate and growing a successful real estate team. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also check us out on YouTube. Search Pro REA Staffing and you'll find this and a ton more content all around hiring and managing your growing real estate team and launching your career in real estate. We'll see you in the next episode.